0: Five weeks to figure that out. There we go. And I don't know. Our sound messed up a little bit. What was what was funny? It's not. It's funny now. It wasn't funny at that time. Was that that Brian was confused and liked another Mandy and another Amanda. And we're like, so many Amandas, so little time. You know, that that must have been the problem. So he was confused, but he did figure it out. And, and they've got two beautiful boys, and they've got another child on the way. So. Um, but we still haven't figured it out, right? Those of us who have been married for a while, let's just figure out who's been married the longest in here. Who's been married above 10 years? Let's see that. Let's see your hands. 15 years? Anybody above 15? How long have y'all been married? 15? 16? 33? How about y'all, Rick? 28 and 33. Let's give them a hand. We like to see stories of folks that have persevered. And I'm willing to bet that you guys could come up here and teach us some things about um, the ups and downs of life, right? It has not all been rosy, has it? Those, those years that you've been together. But God didn't design marriage to make us happy. Did you know that? God designed marriage to make us holy. What that means is God designed marriage to make us look more like Christ. And, and He uses our spouse... One one quote I used several weeks ago, uses our spouse as a full-length mirror to help us see what we're really like and figure those things out. Well, today we're going to talk about a couple of things and then we're going to uh, do a recommitment of our vows, a renewal of vows, as we finish out this series. Now, I want to know, how many of you have ever had a a blowout while driving? Anybody ever had a blowout while driving? Um, It's no fun, is it? I've, I've actually had a few. The last time was... We were coming back from Christmas a year ago. We'd driven for 400 miles, and so we're still about 50, 60 miles from home, uh, other side of course can on I-45, in the fast lane, and my tire blows out. And, you know, we've gone to see my parents, and so that's 500 miles away, and, and um, we are loaded to the hilt, and I'm in the fast lane, driving only the speed limit, as, as I always do, um, and I have a blowout. And I remember thinking, oh no. And I, in my mind, I was going, Lord, protect us. Cause there was tons of traffic on I-45. We were able to make it over. And Janie's like, just keep going. She didn't want me to do it on the, on the highway. She said, get over there in, on, on the, the service road. So I took off over there on the service. We're four wheeling in, in, in a Dodge caravan. And we get over there, had to unload all of the luggage, all of the Christmas gifts. And the, my kids were like, you know, they were having a great time. They thought this was pretty cool. So there's a big old grassy field and they're out there playing. And, and, and I want to ask you this. When you have a blowout, does it come at a convenient time? No. Is there stress involved? I will tell you this. The amount of stress you have when you have a blowout is directly proportional to your attitude when and immediately after you have the blowout. Right? Because when it blows out, if you get ticked off and you get mad at the jack... You get mad at the tire. That doesn't help, does it? That causes the stress to go up. And it also causes your family to laugh at you, by the way. Um, Not that I would know that from personal experience or anything. Now, this time I actually was. I I did have a good attitude. I was just like, no way. Thank you, Jesus, for protecting us, you know, getting us off over here. It took me a while to, to get the jack and everything working, but we eventually got that working. And then, of course... The spare, tire. the spare tire is not inflated enough and I don't have anything. And so we're going on about, you know, five pounds of air trying to get to the, to the gas station. But we made it and, and it was okay. Well, I want to, I want to give a, a, a definition of blowout today. And it's on your listening guides there. A blowout is a sudden rupture or bursting. A sudden rupture or bursting. Ever had one of those in your marriage? A sudden rupture or... Or bursting. Well, let's talk about what causes marriage blowouts today. And, and this, is, this relates exactly to blowouts that you have on, on your vehicle and your, with your tires. The number one cause is poor maintenance. Number one cause of, of marriage blowouts is poor maintenance. Maintenance requires time, right? And we're so busy now that we cut corners. And we have to choose to cheat somewhere. And where do we usually cheat when it comes to our time? Our families. Our families get ripped off. Our marriages get ripped off. Can you rotate the tires at 70 miles an hour? <laughs> I'd actually. Somebody ought to do a reality series like that and give it a try. They wouldn't last very long, would they? I guess the series wouldn't last long. It wouldn't have enough contestants. Well, you can't do proper preventative maintenance in your marriage at light speed either. But we tried to do that and we wonder why things are messed up. Uh, tell me if you've ever had a conversation like this or you've heard a conversation like this. Um, How was your day? Fine. What's your supper? I don't know. What time is baseball practice? Six. Okay. Love you. Love you too. Bye. That happens at our house sometimes because we got two girls in gymnastics, we got one girl in ballet, we got a son who just finished soccer and we were practicing soccer once a week, we were having a soccer game at least once a week, sometimes twice a week, and we were practicing baseball twice a week and because we got rained out next uh yesterday, next week we have four games in one week. There are there're are there're six teams in the league, so there's five other teams that we have to play and I was looking at the schedule and I noticed that in a 7-day span because of the rainout, we will play all five other teams in the league. It gets insane when you're trying to, to do all these things that have everything that everybody says you should have in life. And we get into this mode of just trying to keep our heads above water and we push the really important stuff to the shoulder of the road. We don't have time to talk about major stuff. Um, we're too busy doing unimportant stuff, Right. Um, heartfelt conversations, spiritual talks, major roadblocks that need our attention, we just speed around them and, and kind of ignore them and, and put those in our rearview mirror. Then one day, during a marriage series or during some marriage retreat or, or during a crisis in your life, you look up in the rearview mirror and you see wreck after wreck in your past because of your inattention to your marriage, to your family, to your relationships. Maintenance takes time. We wonder what happened. Well, what happened is you can't do maintenance when you're moving so fast. There was a commercial years ago, and and I always show my age when I do this, but that's okay. Get over it. The message is still good. There was this mechanic that came on the screen and the mechanic would say, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. And I don't remember if he's talking about uh, motor oil or transmission fluid. I don't remember. Do what? Do what? Fram oil filters. Thank you, Jeff. I have someone older than me who remembers. Thank you. I can always count on Jeff. It was That's right, it was Fram Oil Filters. It was this big deal about changing your oil on a regular basis. And so he would show you this engine that had blown out for lack of maintenance. And so the the whole point of the deal was, get your oil changed. Pay attention to the fluid levels in your car. And he said, you can spend a little bit of time and energy now, a few bucks, pay me now, or, and then he'd show you the blown engine over here, you can pay me later. Well, you ignore your marriage at your own peril. You ignore the maintenance of your marriage at your own peril. And if you do it long enough, you are going to pay for the rest of your life. So you can spend some time now, a little bit of time and energy now, keeping your marriage up to date, maintained, or you can pay for the rest of your life through divorce, through adultery, through, through problems with your children. Um, there's, some, there's some choices that we need to make. The second thing that causes a marriage blowout is road hazards in your marriage. How many of you got uh, road hazard insurance the last time you bought tires? Let me see your hands. I mean, it's pretty much standard anymore. You want to know why? Because there's unexpected stuff in the roadway that just seems to jump up and grab your tires. It's happened to me before. I've hit other tires in the road before that blew my tires out. I've hit other things. Having road hazard is great insurance because then you just take it back. And for any reason um, you know that you've run over something in the road, they will give you replacement tires. That's a good thing. Well, let's think about this in marriage. What are the road hazards in marriage? Unexpected bills, financial stress, relationship problems with your family, with in-laws, with your children, with your spouse. These things are going to jump up and grab you. But most of the time, what's going on is we are soccering and we are recreating and we are shopping and we are working ourselves into oblivion. And we just don't have time to mess with road hazards and it's going to bite you. It's going to come. Third thing that causes blowouts in marriage is unskilled drivers. <laughs> My daddy always told me that unskilled drivers. Dad had this really hot rod pickup that I never got to drive, and it's and, and I'll tell you why. Because every time I drove it, I was going to be peeling out as far as that thing could go. Um, it was it was a hot rod, and I would, I and you know it was light in the back end, and Dad would. And my dad was a mechanic. I mean, it's not like I could fool him or anything. He would come, you know, he'd check the tires and stuff. He'd check the hood of the car to see if I'd driven it when I wasn't supposed to. I mean, I was really dumb. Dad was really smart. Um, But he wouldn't let me drive it because I would waste the tires. Well, now I hear people, you know, driving crazy. And that's what I tell my kids all the time. I find myself saying the same things Chuck Washburn says, you know, about the tires. It's just foolishness. All you're doing is wasting money, wasting gas, wasting tires. You know, those types of things. But he's right. Unskilled drivers can tear up tires. Unskilled marriage partners can ruin a marriage just as well. And, and where we're talking, what we're talking about specifically is communication skills. And let's get even more specific resolution of conflict. Where did you learn your method of resolution, of conflict resolution? From your parents and from the friends of the family, those folks that you were close to. And most of the time, I I'm, I'm, think I'm safe ground here saying, most of the time, our parents didn't give us a good pattern of conflict resolution. Let me give you some examples of bad conflict resolution. First of all, there's the landmine style for resolving conflict. That's where the parents get into a fight. And what seems to happen is they take out these little shovels and they dig in the sand and they bury a a landmine and then they cover it up with sand. And you think, as a child, you think everything's okay because they quit fighting. But then one day you're walking through the living room and all of a sudden, boom! And the fight is on, baby. And you're like, dude, all I did was sneeze. Or you, you know what I'm talking about? It's lying right under the surface and anything whatsoever can set it off. And the fight is on. Or let me give you another example. The foxhole style. These folks have conflict and what they do is they run and jump in the foxhole and they hope upon hope that time will heal all wounds. Does time heal all wounds? No, it doesn't. That's why you got people doing some really crazy things. And, and if, you follow, if they were to go to counseling, you could go all the way back to their childhood and find some unresolved issues. And we've said this for five weeks. The most healthy thing you can do for your marriage, if you're not married yet, the most healthy thing you can do for your future marriage is get, um, get those issues resolved. Get that baggage unpacked from your background before you get into a relationship. If you're in a marriage, the, the best um, marriage insurance is to begin unpacking your emotional bags and getting rid of some of that stuff because just hiding doesn't help. And and what happens is we are ingrained and when we get under pressure, we are going to do what we have done in our past and what we what is ingrained in us. And so the things that I don't want to say that my parents said and I said, I would never say, I say when I'm under stress, you do too. Here's a third style. Um, there's the make a list style. And I actually have met many, many of these people. I'm related to some of these people. Um, this person has a mental list of everything you've done wrong wrong from the time you came out of your mother's womb. And it is right there on the hard disk in their mind. And it is ready for reference any you make them mad. Or you hurt their feelings, which usually leads to anger. Usually you get hurt feelings and then that leads to anger. And so it is ready and it's going to come up. And the reason is you've hurt them before. And even if you ask for forgiveness and they say, oh, I forgive you. You might have this wonderful tender hug. I forgive you. But they didn't really forgive you because in the back of their mind, you've hurt them before. And you're going to hurt them again. And I'm going to hurt you back. That's... Uh, I've experienced that many times. It's no fun. Then there's the read-my-mind style. What's wrong, honey? Nothing. Come on, baby, I know something's wrong. Well, if you don't know, I'm sure not going to tell you. Ladies, we've been saying this for five weeks. We are not that smart. We cannot read your minds. And, and I've heard, ladies, in, in counseling, I've heard ladies talk about this and say, well, he ought to be able to know me. We need a roadmap. Draw it out. Get a PowerPoint presentation. Put it up there. Because we can't read your mind. The only person who can is God. And since you figured out a long time ago that we're not God. Hello? Then cut us some slack and tell us what's on your mind. Because we have no idea. That's why these marriage series are so popular. Reading his mind, reading her mind. You know, the stuff that we've gone through. Because we have no idea. How to get along with the opposite sex. We love them, praise God for them, but we don't know what they're thinking. So we got we got to have some help. And and you are the best ones to help us out. Now, for most of us, no one ever taught us how to communicate. No one ever taught us how to um, resolve conflicts. So blowouts happen way too often. And the truth is, every marriage is either moving closer together or it's moving farther apart. Because relationships do not stand still. You're either moving closer or you're moving apart. Well, let's look what the Bible has to say. Proverbs 24.3 says, Homes are built on the foundation of wisdom and understanding. So my question is, is there a lot of wisdom and understanding floating around your home? Is that what members of your family would describe your home? There's just a lot of wisdom and understanding that goes on within our four walls. Well, that's what the Bible says it's going to take to make a marriage succeed. And marriages are what you make them. They don't just happen. If you put the effort into it, you can have a great marriage. If you don't, you won't. Well, let's talk about real quickly how to communicate effectively. Proverbs thirteen seventeen says, reliable communication permits progress. And I want you to circle the word progress. Most of us want to make progress, right? We don't want to go backwards. So if you want your marriage to last and thrive, you got to learn how to talk. But that's not what's happening. Newsweek came out with an article, and here's what they said. The average couple talks to each other alone four minutes per day. Four minutes per day. Then they said the average couple spends 47 hours a week in front of the television and spends about 30 minutes total in communication per week. Now, just for the sake of argument, what if those numbers were reversed? What if couples spent 47 hours per week in communication? I can see the guys going, No, no, no. But what if you did, and you spent 30 minutes in front of the television? Do you think the satisfaction level of your marriage would go up? The ladies are going, You bet it would. I need somebody to talk to. Because you are not, it is not quality time when you're sitting in front of the TV watching TV. That is not quality time. I don't care what the show is. And there's some shows we like to watch. We like to watch Survivor. My kids crawl up in my lap. woohoo, survivor. But we're not communicating. We're, we're watching some dipsticks on an island starve themselves and do dumb things to try to win a million bucks. And, and that is not quality time, so that doesn't count. Well, here are some pointers to get us on the right road uh, in the area of communication. Number one, if we get this one, we could just do this one and it would be great. Number one is practice affirmation. Affirmation. The fastest way for you to put the spark back in your marriage is to start saying nice things to and about your spouse again. You used to. There was a time when you saw your spouse doing something right before you were married, and you used to tell them. And you used to tell other people, Oh, he did this. Man, you wouldn't believe what my girlfriend did. I mean, you guys, we used to talk nice about each other, but we don't do it anymore. Catch them doing something right and tell them. Admire their strengths instead of focusing on their weaknesses. Because you don't want somebody to come and get the microscope and focus just on your weaknesses, do you? You don't want us to put up here a list of all of your character defaults, do you? Then let's stop doing it to our spouses. Let's focus on the positive. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, So encourage each other and give each other strength just as you are doing now. Encourage means you put courage in. Discourage means you suck courage out. So what are you doing with your words? Which one are you doing? Encouraging or discouraging? Everyone wants to be admired. Anybody in here want to be disrespected? You want to stand up and let? I don't understand the the concept behind a roast. You know, when they're roasting people, I don't want to sit up there and let people just make fun of me. I'm not that secure. (laughs) And they laugh. (laughs) They're not. They're dying on the inside when people are wasting them. uh -uh. Let's find the good stuff. We fall in love with people who admire us. We're attracted to people who lift us up and encourage us. Someone paid attention to you once, and you loved them for it, and you drew closer to them. It's the opposite of people waste you, isn't it? So here's a commandment. This is not a suggestion. Now this is not a commandment of God, but I think God would go along with me on this one. This is a commandment, not a suggestion for your marriage. Correct in private, compliment in public. Correct in private compliment in public. But that's not usually what happens, is it? Somebody will be at a a party or something. There's a gathering. There's a fellowship. And and the husband says, yeah, this happened the other day. It's the funniest thing. We showed up at five o'clock and his his wife touches him on the knee. Uh, Honey, actually, it was 530. We showed up at 530 and we got in this red Mustang. It was a blue Mustang. Shut up. What does that have to do with the story? Leave it alone, correct, in, in private, compliment, in public. It doesn't matter. None of the rest of us were there. If you have to write it down and say, okay, we're going to go over your testimony before you share this story again. Do that in private, because all you're doing is you're tearing down your spouse in public. And it's no fun. You don't like it, neither do they. Well, okay, the second thing we need to do is we need to get out of the fast lane. If we're going to, if we're going to be better at communication, we've got to get out of the fast lane. Don't you hate it when you get behind? This happened to me yesterday. Got behind somebody in the fast lane doing about fifty-two miles an hour in a seventy. That is just unacceptable. I mean, I can, I, I don't have the patience to deal with that. Um, so get out of the way. It's a choice to get in the fast lane. But how much communication goes on when you're in the fast lane? Not very much. Move over. Enjoy the scenery. You know, think of it as, as. We went on a mission trip years ago to um, uh to Montana and there's a there's a pass that you go up called Beartooth Pass. Beartooth Pass is one of the most at one time it was considered one of the ten most scenic drives in the United States. You go up about twelve thousand feet, and at one point you're on a you're on a road where it's about twelve thousand feet down. And I'm not usually nervous, but I was up there and I had uh Caleb was three and, and Rachel was just she wasn't even one yet. And had them in the car, had my parents in the car, had Janie in the car. And I had this death grip on the steering wheel. Because I, and I told Janie later, I said, I don't know, I guess it was just the cargo, you know, that I had with me. It was the people. Because I don't usually... But I guarantee you, I was going very slowly. And if somebody wanted to see something, I stopped and looked. Because <laughs> you don't want to be doing that at 12,000 feet. I'm sorry. Well, if we would just take a little bit more time in our relationships to enjoy the scenery... There was a show, I don't even remember what it was. Oh, it was was Runaway Bride. And he's talking to his former wife, and and he said to her at one point, he said, Did I just not see you? Is that the reason we broke up? I didn't see you. She goes, You're right. He wasn't looking. He was too busy with his career. He's too busy working his way up the the successful ladder. And he didn't see her. And eventually they got a divorce. That's what happened. We're not seeing each other because we don't take time to look at each other. We've scheduled all of the fun out of our lives. Most marriages are too boring and too busy. Because here's what we think. We think fun is what we do after we get all of our work done. But do you ever get all of your work done? Is it ever finished? No. So let's start scheduling some fun stuff into our life. Start with tonight. We have a second chance prompt. And anybody can come. It's, you know, it's got a, we're going to have a sit down meal. We're going to have some pictures. We're going to have line dancing. You don't even have to have a partner to line dance. It's one of the benefits of line dancing, is you don't need a partner. We're just going to have a good time tonight. Why not come to our Second Chance prom? You don't have to dress up. I know folks that are coming in jeans and, and a cowboy hat. That's cool. I know folks that are coming in tuxedos and prom dresses. We don't care. If one thing you ought to figure out from this church real quick, real quickly, we don't care what you wear. And where you wear it. And as long as you've got clothes on, <laughs> that's the main thing. <laughs> that is a requirement to come to our party. Clothes are not optional. But if you come tonight, we're going to have fun. We're going to sit down. We're going to have meal. I think it's, it's roast beef or chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes, green beans, rolls, dessert. We're going to be served. <laughs> and we're going to look pretty for each other and take pictures. And we're going to dance. And we're just going to have a good time. I don't do something spontaneous. When's the last time you did something spontaneous? You did it all the time when you were dating and you quit when you got married. So come tonight. Just come eat with us. If you don't want to dance, come eat with us and laugh at everybody who does dance. I mean, have some fun. Um, get out of the fast lane. Number three, the third thing we need to do is choose the right time to talk. Ecclesiastes 8.6 says, there's a right time and a right way to do everything. Timing is everything in communication. Your message may be great, but if you give it at the wrong time, it'll fall on deaf ears. So time your message. It has to be when they're not exhausted. It has to be when they're not under a bunch of stress. Not when they're about to go to bed or when they're about to walk out the door to work. Those are bad times to, to time your message. Columbia University did a study, and they found that the most volatile time for an argument is right before meals. Blood sugar's down. Stomach's empty. If you're, if you're talking to a man, he's thinking, food, eat. He's not thinking anything else. And if you come in and say, honey, we need to talk, he's thinking, food, eat. You know, there's going to be problems. So bad timing equals fireworks. That's just that's common sense there. Um, here's the next one. Think before you speak. Now, this, this ought to be self-explanatory, but it is not. How many of you have spoken before your brain even got into gear? Because you cannot take those words back. When we were kids, what would we say? I take it back. I take it back. I take it back. But you can't. Words do damage. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Bull. Words are extremely damaging and you cannot take them back. And so in, in our marriage for 14 years because in my family, we all of those all of those, you know, different styles, landmine, foxhole, you know, blow up, take, make a list, all of those were evident in my family growing up. And so all those stuff are natural things for me whenever I get under stress. But I've chosen for 14 years not to say anything. And Janie said, I like it when you don't say anything. And I said, baby, sometimes I just need to walk out of the room, get a clue about life, and then come back and we can talk. She goes, that is fine with me. Because she, she avoids conflict. She's the foxhole style. She's like, if you didn't walk out of the room, I would, you know, that type of thing but then we come back together and we talk in a rational way. She loves these marriage series. She loves it because I, you know, I'm reminded and I have to try to put into practice what, what I'm going to be speaking about. And so, think before you speak. Proverbs 16:23. I just love this, the Bible because it's so practical. Intelligent people think before they speak. What they say is then more persuasive. How many of you want to be considered intelligent? Yeah. The key is right there. Think before you speak. Be ready to say how you feel. Now, here's the key. This is a big key. Use I feel statements. Not you did, but I feel. I feel this when this happens. And let me give you an example. One of the best I've, I've ever heard. A, a lady, her husband was a, a football coach. And she said to him one day, she, he came in, she said, honey, we need to talk. And she waited until he had you know, gotten in, done his routine. And then she says, I feel like our family is the lowest priority on your priority list. And she said, let me give you an example. She said, think of it like this. When you go to work every day, he's a a football coach, so they would get up and they would go to work. He said, you go to breakfast with all the other coaches. You look forward to that time. You're excited. You go. You have a great time. You guys are friends. You love working together. You love thinking about the opponent for the week. Um, You love coming up with a strategy to beat that opponent. You eat, you laugh, you have a great time. When it's time to leave, you ask the the waitress for a doggy bag. She comes over, you put all your leftovers in this little doggy bag, you roll up and you carry it with you to work. You do your school stuff and then at lunch, all of you guys gather in the coach's office and you talk some more and you eat your lunch together and you have this great time and you just love the other coaches that you work with. And when you're finished with your lunch, you get a bag and you scrape the leftovers in there and you roll up that bag. So now you have two bags that you carry along. You go into practice that day, you have a practice and then you guys go out to eat again Because you want to talk about what you did in practice that day and what you can do tomorrow to make practice better so that you can win the game at the end of the week. At the end, what do you do? You ask the waitress to come and give you a doggy bag. You scrape off all of those leftovers in the doggy bag and you have three bags that you come home with. And she said, the kids and I are waiting anxiously for you to come. We want desperately to spend some time with you just to have a little bit of time in your presence that is positive and not negative. And she said, we're lined up at the door and you walk in the door, you throw a a bag at each one of us of leftovers and you say, leave me alone while I go watch TV. And she said, that's unacceptable. We cannot live on leftovers. Our kids are starving because everything else in your life is more important and we're getting the leftovers. And then she said, What can we do to make your life easier so that we can get some of the best of your day instead of some of the worst? Great word picture, wasn't it? Did you feel it? You felt it, didn't you? It goes to the heart. Word pictures help people understand what you're feeling. Instead of, you did this, you've thought through. I think that her words were very effective because the man changed his life. He realized that that was unexpected. He got that picture. I've never forgotten that story. The picture of throwing my kids leftovers, that's unacceptable. And it's unacceptable for you to do that in your family. Um, here's the most important one. Number five, let God come between you. Let God come between you. If you're going to have the marriage that you need, if you're going to have the communication that you need, let God come between you. And here's the big deal. You cannot be at peace with other people until you're at peace with yourself. And the Bible tells us that you get peace with yourself by getting peace with God. Look at the verse here, Ephesians 2.16. As parts of the same body. Now, he's actually talking to Christians here. As parts of the same body, our anger against each other has disappeared. For both of us have been reconciled to God. And so the feud ended at the at last at the cross. Now, if you go to Ephesians chapter 2 and you start at the first, it's talking about all of us were far from God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And there was no hope for us. But then by the end, he says, but God but God has provided a way for us to be reconciled to Him. And then this talks about how we can be reconciled to one another. The Bible says that I'm at war with God because I want to be boss and I want to tell everybody else what to do and I want to be boss with my life. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Um, And the only way that I'm ever going to get to the point that I don't have conflict with other people is I've got to settle this conflict that I have with God. And I want you to think about this. Most marriage conflicts, if not all marriage conflicts, could be solved overnight if both husband and wife would get down on their knees and they would say, yes, God. Nothing else. Yes, God. I'm at war with you. Because I want you to think about this. The Bible says that when you're a Christian and that when I'm a Christian, Jesus Christ himself, through his Holy Spirit, lives inside of us. If Jesus Christ is living in me and Jesus Christ is living in you, we will not have conflict with one another because Jesus will not fight with Himself. The Bible tells us in Galatians that the fruit of God's Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are some pretty good attributes, right? Are those the attributes that your spouse and your family would say ooze from your life? Because if you're filled with those attributes and I'm filled with those attributes... We are not going to be at war with one another. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Nine fruits of the Spirit. And if that's evident in my life and it's evident in your life, we are going to get along. The problem is, most of the time, one or more of those attributes are not evident in either person's life who's fighting. Now, the reality is, some Couples are going to need professional help, and I 'm glad that, that the longer we're alive, the less stigma there is for professional help, for counseling, Christian counseling. More and more when I was at seminary back in the '90s, that was the fastest growing area at seminary, was marriage and family counseling. There are churches all over wanting to have a counselor on staff, because I guarantee you a pastor could spend 100 percent of their time counseling marriage, uh, marriages and family situations. And that's the fastest growing area. And I'm glad of that. But some folks are going to need professional help. You need a Christian counselor. But I've heard this said from both husband and wife. I don't need counseling. I'm not going to counseling. Who do you think I am? And you know what I'm going to say to that person? I'll tell you who you are. You're a coward. You're a chicken because you are afraid of your past. Don't tell me that you are complete and you've got everything together because every one of us could benefit from counseling finding things in our past that are that are blind spots that we have until you're perfect and i think all of us would admit that we're not perfect we could benefit from counseling from someone else looking into our lives and lovingly saying let's deal with this issue and by the way you can't deal with all of them at the same time you don't get to go in and get fixed in one session you have to deal with one thing at a time um and if we would admit that See, it takes courage, it takes maturity, it takes honesty, it takes humility to admit that I need help. And, and we need more folks to admit that. Now, here's the reality of life. This is a great tire, isn't it? Some of our marriages are headed for this, if we don't do some preventative maintenance in fact the all four wheels on my truck if you look at my well, my truck's not here <laughs> if you look at my truck i am so close to this because i've just not taken the time i've never had all four blow out at once but i'm i'm going to see if it can happen <laughs> and this is what our marriages are going to look like because we don't take the time to do just a little bit of maintenance and the whole reason that we're doing this series is to try to help folks recognize that before it happens um, your family's going to pay big time. Your family will pay for the rest of your life if you don't do something before that happens. Now, there's another definition of, of blowout. You know what it is? It's a party. It's a celebration. And part of my mission in life is to help build marriages that are celebrations of God's presence. And so I want to do everything I can to make my marriage a blowout, a party. And I want your marriage to be that way. But we've got to make some choices that we're going to we're going to do that. We're going to we're going to invest whatever's necessary so our marriages can be a party, a celebration. Now, we live in a contract society. You have contracts for everything, right? Contract to buy your house, contract to get into an apartment, contract to get a car, contract to get a cell phone. You have contracts everywhere. And part of the problem, we said this five weeks ago, but but I think it's. It's important enough that we need to say it again. Part of the problem is that we have turned marriage into a contract institution, and God never intended it to be a contract institution. What God intended was for it to be a covenant. In the Old Testament, excuse me, in the Old Testament, if somebody was in covenant with somebody else, they would have these rituals that they would go through, and they would make these, these sayings and these vows to one another. One of the ceremonies that they would do is called the Walk of Death. And they would split an animal in two. They would take a, 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 a lamb or they would take a ram or something. They would cut it in two and they would lay half of the body over here and half of the body over here. And then they would make a vow to the other person. They would say, what you want is more important than what I want. This is a blood covenant. And as they walk between the two halves of the animal, what they would say is, God, may you do to us what we have done to these this animal if we break this covenant with this other person. And your walk of death, you would actually walk between the two halves of the animal and you'd say, I'm giving you my life on this issue. And then the other person would make the same uh, statements to you and you'd walk through there and it was called the walk of death. Now, um, I want you to think about a marriage ceremony. Have you ever thought about the symbolism of the marriage ceremony? why it's such a big deal that we have a center aisle. Because when you walk down that aisle, that is your walk of death. You're not, you know, those of you sitting out there are not half a dead animal or anything like that. But you're saying, this is a big deal and this is not a contract. This is a covenant. I am saying this is a blood covenant and my vows before God and these witnesses today are to last as long as we're alive. People go to the church house to get married, but they go to the courthouse to get a divorce. And God says, I want you to be one man, one woman for a lifetime. Now, I I understand things happen. Okay? So what we're saying at New Life Community Church is we're drawing a line in the sand and we're not going to go back and, and rehash what's happened in your past. That's not the issue that we're looking at. We're looking towards the future. And we're going to say we want to build the strongest marriages... So what we're about to do is we're about to recommit our vows, and we want to be reminded that it's a covenant. And and gang, what you're about to do today, if you choose to do this, this is more significant than what you did, however many years ago, thirty years ago, twenty-eight years ago, fourteen years ago, because now you know the person. However many years ago when you made those promises, you were clueless. You didn't know them till you lived together. Till you start having children. Till you start having problems. You don't know that person. So what you're about to do is even more significant than what you did back then. We're going to renew those those commitments, that covenant before God. This is reality. Because you've been through problems, you've been tested by time, you've been through the trials. You have a greater understanding. So, men, if you're married, I want you to look into the eyes of, of your spouse. And I challenge you, before God and before all of these witnesses, that you're to accept this woman as your gift from God. She is a gift to you from God. You are to love her unconditionally is what the Bible says. You're to love her as Christ loved the church. That means sacrificially. Putting her needs before your own. You're to love her and let your love be an example to those of us around that are watching. Likewise, ladies, as you look at this man, I challenge you and I charge you before God and these witnesses to accept this man as God's gift to you. He is, in fact, God's gift to you. You are to love him unconditionally, the Bible says, and you are to respect him unconditionally. Now, I want you to stand up and I want you to face each other. Marriage, these are these are the folks that are married. You stand up and I want you to face each other. Men, I want you to repeat these vows after me and I do not want you to whisper them and I don't want to have to stop and correct you in the middle of this deal. This is romantic, but it's also loud and I want to hear it up here. So, say it like you mean it. Here we go, men. Before God and all these witnesses, I renew my commitment to love you. I receive you as God's perfect gift to me. To have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse. In sickness and in health. To love you. To honor you. To cherish you. And to protect you. As long as we both shall live. Alright ladies, if you can quit laughing, some of you. Would you look at at your husband and repeat after me. Before God and all these witnesses, I remove... I remove, sorry.
1: Let's try that again. I renew
0: my commitment to love you. Golly, we've got to do that again. Sorry, I just totally blew that. Let's just start over. Ladies, repeat after me. Before God and all these witnesses, I renew my commitment to love you. I receive you as God's perfect gift to me. To have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. To love you. To honor you. To cherish you. And protect you. As long as we both shall live. Now, there's one other thing. Keep looking at each other. I know this is a long time. It's probably been since your wedding day since you looked at each other (laughs) this long. Now, there's one other thing you did when you got married and that you gave rings. And some of you may not be able to get them off, so don't worry about it. Leave it on there. If you don't have the ring, that's okay. I want ladies and men, I want you to put your hand on that ring. This is going to be a symbolic thing. Put your hand on that ring. Men, I want you to say this first. Look at your wife and say these words to her. I give you this ring... As a symbol of my love for you. And with it, I promise to always be faithful to you. Ladies, put your, ring, your hand on his ring and repeat after me. I give you this ring as a symbol of my love for you. And with it, I promise to always be faithful to you. Oh, yeah. Now comes a good part. Now that you've recommitted yourselves to each other before God and before all of these witnesses here in our church family, it is my privilege to say that for today and forevermore in the sight of heaven and earth, you shall continue, you are and you shall continue to be husband and wife. Gentlemen, you may kiss your bride.